Welcome to Good Medicine Explained. I am your host, Dr. James R. Brown. This is episode number seven for the week of July the 12th, 2020. Well, summer is in full swing now, and this year in Southern California, the summer experience is much more different than usual. The major theme parks, Disneyland, Universal Studios, Magic Mountain, have all been closed due to the coronavirus pandemic. The governor has imposed significant restrictions on hanging out at the beach and other public areas, and many people have curtailed their summer vacation trips. The Summer Olympics, baseball, and many other sporting events have been postponed. So now what is a person to do? Well, being home all day or having extra free time with a sexual partner might mean you're having more sex more often. This can be a great way to build a connection with your partner and reduce stress and anxiety. But it's important to make sure you're still taking steps to prevent STDs, unintended pregnancies, along with COVID-19. What I'd like to speak about in this episode is how does one establish and maintain a satisfying and safe sex life during this global pandemic and as we continue into the future? If this topic makes you feel uncomfortable or offended, I recommend that you simply skip this episode and listen in again next week. I do not intend to get into graphic or salacious material, but I do want to have a candid conversation with you about normal human behavior, as I would with any of my patients. Unfortunately, this subject frequently gets avoided, overlooked, or summarily dismissed. I cannot speak for all of my colleagues, but I try to maintain a sex-positive attitude, open, tolerant, and progressive. Human intimacy is a strong and natural biological drive, just like drinking water, eating, breathing, and other body functions. We know medically that orgasms in general are believed to reduce stress, reduce blood pressure, increase self-esteem, and even relieve pain. As many individuals age and progress through life, adolescence, young adulthood, middle age, and senior stages of our lives, the drive and expressions can vary. Regardless of your gender, gender identity, expression, orientation, my intent is to include some considerations that can help maintain a safe, healthy, and happy experience with intimacy. Let me start with a couple of terms that you may or may not be familiar with. Gender identity is the personal sense of one's own gender. Gender identity can correlate with a person's assigned sex at birth or it can differ from it. Gender expression typically reflects a person's gender identity, but this is not always the case. 
Depending on what resource you refer to or use, there are somewhere between 50 to 60 different gender identities, including male, female, transgender, gender neutral, non-binary, agender, pangender, gender queer, two-spirit, third gender, and all, none, or a combination of these. Your gender identity is how you feel inside and how you express those feelings. Clothing, appearance, and behaviors can all be ways to express your gender identity. Most people feel that they're either male or female. Some people feel like a masculine female or a feminine male. So what does that long alphabet LGBTQIA mean? Well, the original LGBT was an abbreviation for lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender or gender diverse. It was an umbrella term used to refer to the community of non-straight individuals as a whole. LGBTQIA includes and raises awareness of queer, intersex, and asexual communities, as well as a myriad of other communities under that umbrella. Being an LGBTQ ally means educating yourself and others in your social circles about the plight and discrimination of this marginalized community. So, as a physician, knowing some of an individual patient's sexual history becomes very important for us in terms of appropriate health screenings and behavioral counseling for preventive health measures. We all know that Various health conditions such as heart disease, respiratory ailments like COPD, osteoarthritis, major surgeries, mental health issues can all impair sexual activity and satisfaction. And these come into play when we are assessing morbidity and mortality features. Physicians should be non-judgmental and willing and able to permit the patient to ask open-ended questions. It's also very important to tell your physician if any of the medications you've been prescribed seem to be impairing your sexual function. This comes into play sometimes with common prescriptions like antidepressants or antihypertensive medications. If you're not aware of it, most medical office electronic medical records, or EMRs, today include opportunities to collect self-reported structured data on patients, such as gender identification and expression, sexual orientation, and the like. Women are generally more familiar answering sexual health questions when they have visits with obstetrician gynecologists. In terms of what is known as the proactive sexual history, Dr. Margaret Nussbaum of the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill 
and Dr. Carol Hamilton from Emory University in Atlanta created a sexual history outline that is still being utilized today. Questions that the physician might ask you are general, such as, are you currently sexually active? Have you ever been? What is your gender? How do you identify? What pronouns do you prefer? We also want to get some idea about your sexual partners, such as, how do your partners identify? Are they male, female, or another? Or what are the genders of your partners? How many partners have you had in the past month, or year, or lifetime? How satisfied are you with your sexual functioning and your partners? Has there been any change in your sexual desire or libido or frequency? We sometimes ask questions about sexual practices. Do you participate in genital sex, oral sex, anal sex? Have you ever had a sexually transmitted infection? Do you have any risk factors for HIV infection? Have you ever been tested for HIV? Would you like to be tested? What do you do to protect yourself from contracting HIV? And we sometimes ask questions about fertility and pregnancy, such as, are you currently trying to become a parent? Would you like to get pregnant or father a child? What method are you using for contraception? And lastly, we might ask questions about your pleasure. Do you have any pain with intercourse? Do you have any problem with lubrication? Do you have any difficulty achieving orgasm? Do you have any difficulty achieving or maintaining an erection? Do you have any difficulty with ejaculation? Do you have any questions or concerns about your sexual functioning? Is there anything about you or your partner's sexual activity that you'd like to change? Now, through these lines of questions, we've discovered that somewhere between 50 to 90% of women report at least one sexual health concern. Most often, these issues fall in the lines of libido, difficulty with orgasm, pain with intercourse, inadequate lubrication, body image concerns, or physical and sexual abuse and sexual coercion. Around 40% of men report at least one sexual health concern, most often erectile dysfunction or premature ejaculation. Now, now that we are dealing with the COVID-19 infection, there are a couple of facts that we have been able to put together that are important in regards to our sexual practices and health. COVID-19, as we understand it, is passed through droplets that come out of your mouth and nose when you cough or breathe out. COVID-19 is not a sexually transmitted infection. However, it can be passed through kissing and close contact, including having sex. COVID-19 viruses have been identified 
in the semen of men who have had the infection. But we don't know yet if it can be spread from one person to another through the semen. And there's no evidence so far that the virus is available or found in vaginal fluids. So what I want to do next is talk about some safe practices. What is permissible and what is safe? During the COVID-19 pandemic, you still need to ask for consent every time you want to have any kind of sex, even if you've had sex with that person before, and even if you're in a relationship, live together, or are married. If your partner doesn't want to have sex for any reason, including being worried about catching COVID-19, it's important to respect that. Another do is take a shower and wash your hands and body thoroughly with soap and water both before and after sex. One of the safer ways in the COVID-19 era to have safe sex includes masturbation. It's one of the COVID-19 conditions that you can continue to enjoy without worrying about contracting the infection, provided, of course, that you're taking all the appropriate precautions of wearing a mask and gloves and so forth. You can also explore ways to have sex without anyone else being physically present, including using sex toys, phone, or even webcam. However, if you decide to go online, be aware of what you're sharing and who you're sharing it with. Remember to only do what feels right for you. Your partner may want to explore this new way of being sexual, but you shouldn't feel pressured to share sexual content over the phone or internet if you don't want to. Having sex with the partner you live with is okay if neither one of you have any symptoms. The safest sexual partners are people who you already live with. Right now, it's best to try not to have close contact with anyone outside your home if you can. Staying away from as many people as possible will protect you and others from contracting the COVID-19 infection. If you decide to have sex with someone who doesn't live with you, then you should take precautions to reduce the risk of spreading COVID-19. Again, you should take a shower and wash your hands and body thoroughly with soap and water before and after sex. Using condoms or dental dams to reduce contact with saliva or feces is also important. Condoms and dental dams will help protect you from sexually transmitted infections and also help prevent the spread of COVID-19 during oral sex by preventing contact with saliva. And using condoms during vaginal or anal sex can help prevent the spread of COVID-19 through things like feces or semen, if it turns out that the virus can be spread that way. Still, we don't know if that's true. It's also important to wash your hands with soap and water for 20 seconds before and after you have sexual intercourse. You and your partner can wear masks if you choose. If you use sex toys, wash these thoroughly with soap and water and do not share them. Now, 
what would we say is not safe to do or you should take extra caution? Well, obviously, if you or your partner have a COVID-19 symptoms, you should not be kissing or having sex. If you or your partner are not quarantining together, then you two must socially distance from each other. And social distancing sex means having phone sex or sexting. There's obviously absolutely no physical contact with either option. If you do sext videos, do it with a trusted partner, someone you know who won't save or take video images of what you're doing virtually and send them out to others. You should avoid sexual activities which include licking around the anus, known as rimming. This might spread COVID-19 because we're not certain that the virus is available in feces and could enter your mouth. In terms of special cases like pregnancy, if you're not planning on getting pregnant, ensure you have an adequate supply of contraception. If you usually use short-acting contraception, such as the pill or a barrier method, such as condoms, make sure you have at least a 30-day supply always available. If you use long-acting contraception, such as an IUD or an implant, make sure you don't need these changed in the next 30 to 60 days. Talk to your physician or other health care provider to ensure continuity in your preferred method. In regards to HIV infection, preventing HIV is still important during the COVID-19 pandemic. Make sure you have an adequate supply of condoms and at least 30 days worth of PrEP, which is pre-exposure prophylaxis, if you're currently taking PrEP. Some people on PrEP may decide that their HIV risk is low because they're having less sex during the pandemic. If you decide to stop taking PrEP, make sure you know how to stop it and start it again. For most populations, taking daily PrEP, you'll need to have seven sex-free days before you can stop taking PrEP so that your last sex act is fully protected. Now, these recommendations are not totally inclusive, but they do serve as a relatively good guideline for all of us as we move forward through this process. If this particular topic or any of the previous episodes have provoked questions for you, be reassured that I do regular Q&As on my Instagram account at jrbrownmd, where you may submit your questions there through direct message. However, I emphasize that I do not serve as a replacement or substitute for your own personal physicians, nor do I provide individualized consultations outside of my practice. I'd also like to thank my podcast team, Lauren and Natalie, who really are responsible for making this podcast possible. Until our next opportunity, may you be happy, may you be healthy, may you be loved, and may you have a peaceful heart.